0: And welcome back to Imagine Akasha. My name is Tom Fry,
1: And I'm Nancy Volling.
0: And we have a very lovely guest today. Dina Samuels is a PhD. She serves as a mindfulness-based diversity, equity, and inclusion author. She's a speaker, a leadership trainer, and consultant, A award-winning tenured professor. Dr. Samuels taught at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs for 20 years while consulting nationally and internationally. And now you do that full-time, don't you? Mm-hmm, I do. Well, tell us a little bit about... Some ways to improve your health and wellness and some of the things that you talk about.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me here. I'm super excited to be here um, and to talk about mindfulness and all the things. Well, mm-hmm. thanks, for, thanks for
0: coming. We really mm-hmm. appreciate it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, what is mindfulness? Uh, it's a great place to start. <laughs> mindfulness, uh, the way I look at it, um, there's a million different ways of thinking about it. Obviously, I did not make it up, and it's important from a cultural, um, not wanting to be culturally appropriate of making sure that we know where it came from. Um, And it's, you know, Eastern practice. It's been around for, you know, millennia. And uh, we brought it to the West. Um, It was brought to the West by, typically, by white folks uh, who have used it in lots of different ways. What I found was that, and the way I see it, the definition I typically use is present moment awareness. So it could come from a religious standpoint, which is where it started. It could be for you. It could be a spiritual practice, which it happens to be for me. Um, Or it's just about being in the present moment and focusing on your breath. Um, And all of those, you know, what we found is that mindfulness is a beautiful and incredible tool for so many different things that we can use it for. And so that's why I teach it. I teach it really as a leadership tool. Um, primarily, but also just in terms of health and wellness, in terms of self-empowerment, in terms of culturally inclusive leadership, um, social justice, and environmental justice. So I my latest book actually spans the gamut of all of those topics, but it's really using mindfulness as the heart of it.
1: How do you stay mindful in moments where you feel yourself drifting off? How do you bring yourself back? So I think the practice, I mean, mindfulness is definitely a
2: practice, and I think the practice really focuses on the remembering, just remembering that we can always have access to our breath. And we use our breath specifically because... We will we'll always have it. We'll have our breath till we die, and so therefore, while we're here, while we're in these particular bodies, we always have access to our breath, and it's an anchor, and it's consistent. And even if it's, you know, um, beating, you know, your heart's beating fast, or you, so your breath is jagged, or anything else, we can actually slow it down just by a few breaths. I call it a 10 second vacation. So you I know, like that? Yeah, you inhale for four and exhale for six. And as long as you're exhaling for longer than your inhale, it actually calms your parasympathetic system and it calms you down.
0: See, I wasn't aware of that. I, I've heard a lot about breathing and I've heard about, you know, just take 10 seconds. You know, I've, I've heard that before, but I've never heard about the four in six out thing. Yeah. That's that's a new one for me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna and definitely try it. some people
2: will say, you know, hold it for a little bit or whatever. I, I, to me, it's really, if you're really being natural with your breath, You're not really wanting to hold it. You're just, you're breathing in, but just making sure you're extending the exhale.
0: Does does it seem to, um, once you've, you know, consciously breathed, uh, as long as you have, you know, teaching it and and, uh, and what have you, do you find that it's almost kind of like they say engaging your core? Like once you engage your core every day, as much as you can, you're consciously thinking about it. All of a sudden, you'll always be engaged. I mean, do you find that yes. with your breathing?
2: Absolutely. And it's, I mean, that's a beautiful practice. I think about meditation in that way too. And I can certainly share about the difference between mindfulness in particular and meditation. But um, when I think about the meditation practice as I've been practicing for the past, I don't know how many years, I am now, I find myself in a meditative state almost all the time. Really? Yeah. It's not, not quite 100% of the, my day. How but about right now? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Yeah. See, I have
0: ADHD, and we've talked about this on our podcast before. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are different views about it. You know, medications because it is a chemical imbalance, and you know, there are certain things that I don't have that other people have, and, and in turn, it ends up making me, you know, more um, not spontaneous, but what's the word I'm looking? For? Impulsive, impulsivity, mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, if I could use breathing as a as a tool, wouldn't absolutely. that be
2: neat? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It it is. I would love to be
0: in a meditative state all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it kind of like being in a dream then? Oh, you've just opened
2: up such a can of worms. (laughs) Um, So when I think about that, I think about the fact that I actually do believe we're in sort of an illusion. We're living in this illusionary state. um, And that truly who we really are is so much bigger than the bodies that we inhabit. And so when I say I'm in a meditative state almost 24 seven, it's that I am consciously aware most of my day that I am bigger than this body. And when I say bigger, that's kind of a weird word to use. There's no you know there's no judgment about that. It's more like we all are. We are all beyond our skin. Um, can I do a little practice? Yes, yeah, right. of course. So what I would recommend, what I would Um, encourage you to do is if it's comfortable for you in this place and time to close your eyes please do so if you're in a place that's safe to do so and just notice first of all when you notice your breath it's really an anchor for who you are, where you are, you know, what's going on in your body and once again if we calm it down and then we can Try to feel where your body ends and the air around you begins. Try to feel your skin with your eyes closed. And you'll notice it's really hard to do. If you have some pain in your body, you may actually feel your skin. Maybe if there's a breeze near you, you may feel that. And you'll be like, oh, that's where my skin is. But otherwise, we really can't feel our skin, and when we when you think about that, then who are we really? Maybe we're beyond our skin. When we open our eyes, and I you know feel free to do so if you flutter your eyes open and you see your skin you're like well yeah I see where I, where my body ends and the air around me begins but when your eyes are closed you can't even tell
0: is there a certain way to breathe though because like we your friend Jenny was on the uh, on our program and she was talking about circle breathing is is there a certain way cuz I was wondering I didn't want to interrupt your mm-hmm. your little you know teaching us how to do it but are you breathing in through your nose out through your mouth or does it not really matter when you're doing this kind of uh breathing
2: there are so many different practices um, a lot of people say in through your nose out through your mouth um, I, I really um, when I teach mindfulness I try to get people to do what is most when I say natural I mean it's what they're most most used to doing because I don't want to throw a million things at them to get them. I mean, it's such a practice anyway that rather than focusing on am I where where's the right. breath coming from and all of that, I I'll leave that to okay. other folks to to focus on. If folks are interested in asking the question, I would say yeah, for sure, breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth because you can, you can do a big long exhale through your mouth and it seems to it seems to really incorporate a lot of the air in your body coming out. So yeah,
1: I would encourage that, but I. I don't typically teach it for yeah
0: it's kind of that yoga breath right Mm -hmm. well
1: the yoga breath is in through the nose out through the nose Mm -hmm.
0: not when you're doing the not when you're doing like the like when you're doing the
1: oh
2: for hot yoga yeah that that fire breath Mm -hmm. is through the mouth um,
1: but ujjayi breath is through the nose okay yeah which really then heats up the body too Mm -hmm. opening the mouth cools the body
0: I see cool
1: so yeah. And I, I i mean, I've been trained with
2: Ujjayi, so I typically breathe that personally. That's how I typically breathe. Oftentimes, Jenny will say, breathe, you know, breathe it out through your mouth. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can open my mouth. <laughs> right. I forget. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> what classes did you teach for um, the University of Colorado? Was it mindfulness? So are they that progressive <laughs> believe it
2: or Especially not. Especially yeah. in Colorado Springs. <laughs> I know, I know. So when I started out, I mean, I, w- I taught there for 20 years, um, and I'm still, I'm still a lecturer there. Um, I teach a mindfulness course for them now. But um, I was teaching, for, for the 20 years I was teaching, I'm a sociologist, and so I taught courses on um, social justice studies. Primarily, so courses on racism, sexism, heterosexism, ageism, ableism, etc., all the isms. And um, at towards the end, roughly about the last five years, I started teaching a course called uh, "Social Justice and Sustainability: Living Mindfully." And I used basically what's at the heart of my this this latest book. It was kind of the impetus for the book called "The Mindfulness Effect." It was, the idea was that mindfulness could be used in these ways, and my students loved it. They just loved it. And I loved teaching it. I was like, I, that was truly a you know, game changer for me, and that's where sort of my, my career went. Where your practice Yeah, my gone. practice, my trajectory,
1: all of it, yeah. If somebody wanted to get your book or contact you to speak for them, mm-hmm. um, how would they find you?
0: What is the title of your book?
2: The title is called The Mindfulness Effect.
0: The Mindfulness Effect.
2: Yes, and it's based on, obviously, the butterfly effect, the idea that small changes but big, huge impact. And that's really what I believe mindfulness is here for. So, wow. Yeah. And it's
0: available, like, on Amazon and, mm-hmm. like, bookstores and things yeah. like that?
2: Yeah, it's it's local here on Tattered Cover
1: and also— Is it at, really? Yeah, Um. at Amazon. That's And great. we're in Colorado if you're local. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah, Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, how do they find you? What oh, is yes. your website? DenaSamuels yeah. that's
0: D E N A. Mm-hmm. Okay, because some people might you know spell that differently. Want to make sure it's D E N A Samuels S A M U E L S dot com.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, now here's an out of the box question: um, How do you see the world today? Because it's very, you know, a lot of people say it's really heavy on on those things you just spoke about. Um, do you see us? Flipping the switch on racism and sexism and all those things. I, you know,
2: I just feel like I, every day I think I'm going to work myself out of a job. I hope I do. I hope I do. And I, it, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. There is just so much work to be done so much. whether it's in schools or universities or in organizations or corporations. The good news is is that the people who are inviting me in to talk about mindful inclusive leadership development happen to be like the military. And, I mean, I was talking to the Denver Police Academy. Like, they do mindfulness. It's unbelievable. So, right.
0: It's not just a bunch of, you know, granola-eating yogis from Boulder.
2: I, I, There's I'd actually, like
0: you said, like, you yeah. know, cops with, you know, mustaches and brush cuts. Exactly. That are, yeah, that's that's really interesting. They're
2: focusing on their breath. I mean, it's wow. amazing. And it's it could be life-changing in terms of, you know, when we think about first responders, knowing mindfulness, that's critically important. It's critically important, especially
1: because, you know, those workers come across all walks of life. It's not just one group of people having problems. Have you ever
2: talked
0: with athletes at all? I'm just wondering how that would come into play because obviously you're like you're you're talking about when you're, you're breathing normally, you're not breathing jaggedly, but if you're playing a sport unless you're playing something like golf or something, which actually would be very helpful because it's such a mental game. It would probably be really good for golf, uh, people who play golf. But have you ever dealt with athletes as far as being mindful while they're performing their sport?
2: I haven't personally, but I've written about a few in my book. Um, Actually, in both books I talk about that, Um, uh, my first book as well, just about this idea that athletes, I mean, there's a lot of mindfulness now in athletes, you know, in athletic these big, huge um, sports teams are now hiring mindfulness coaches and all of that, and that so that's super exciting. But we're also seeing mindfulness in these big corporations like Facebook and um, Google and some of these big companies that are really kind of leading edge. And some of them even have departments of mindfulness. You know, like there's wow. a, you know director of mindfulness programming or you know that kind of thing. Well,
0: that'd be a bump in pay if you could get you know <laughs> yeah. gig like that. Um, y- he was one of the uh, was the coach of the Bulls, Phil Jackson, who later yes. went on to coach the Lakers. He was one of the first coaches that I heard about yes. that got his whole team to like meditate and breathe and things exactly. like that and, and look at how many championships he I mean he had Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Shaq, you know he had some good players, but I think there's something to be said about that. I mean it just kind of puts you in a different state, and I think it, when you go out there to play your game and instead of worrying about everything you 're kind of just focused on that moment, and I think that's something that's probably helpful in many arenas yes pardon the pun
2: (laughs) (laughs) very good um yeah but getting back to this idea of first responders though i think it's really an important point is that you know we talk about you know this is life or death kind of issues and you know when you're when first responders are going out especially if they're police officers if they're drawing their weapon it's to shoot Right. And so we want them to be mindful about that. But even, you know, the fraction of a second could cost them their own life. So it's, it's partly the mindfulness that happens before they go on scene, um, but also what happens after. There's so many folks, first responders, whether we're talking police or fire or what have you, that are walking around with PTSD, moving through the world with PTSD and it is more likely that a first responder will take their own life within five years of a traumatic experience than it is that they would die in that traumatic experience. No kidding. So if they can learn the skills of mindfulness before they even get into a situation like that they'll have those skills when they need them later because clearly we know um, from a you know there's such a stigma for getting help. Around those issues, but if they have learned mindfulness at the beginning, they'll have those skills. That
0: How about need. combat? Because that because yeah. they do that on a more regular basis. If you're in the armed forces, have same. you? Have you? It's the same. Have you? Did you ever do some stuff with the Air Force? Because you were down there. Air or?
2: Force, the Coast Guard. So far, so far, it's the Air Force and the Coast Guard that I've worked with around mindfulness, which has been. I just never thought that that's where I what I would be doing, but wow. it's super exciting. How yeah. about the VA? The VA contact No, but. But isn't that a lot? My phone is, you know, my phone's open.
0: But the VA would be, you know, after they already have PTSD most likely. So is is there a way to bring that in to help with PTSD after the fact?
2: Absolutely. Because, again, you're still talking about coping mechanisms, right? So we're talking about mindfulness as a tool for health and wellness. And using it as a coping strategy is just, it's it's a phenomenal tool. And it's available to everyone and it doesn't cost a penny. Wow. I love that. It's true.
0: Love that. So you don't have to worry about any kind of drugs or any kind of uh, treatment. I mean, you learn how to do it. and So to do,
1: I'm a psychic, and to do a reading, I have to go to that mindful place before, you know, reading for somebody. So I would imagine that we could all kind of become more perceptive. Yeah, if we did get in a mindfulness practice. So even those police officers that are answering calls would know, you know, maybe we rush in or maybe we take a moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've, I mean, I've heard some that say that they'll right before they get
2: out of their car, they'll take a breath. They'll take a mindful breath and that it will change how they're showing up on the spot. Um, and that, that could be that so could, helpful in
0: traffic, you know. know, all kinds of little yeah. things like that, you know?
2: Yeah. And I would say, too, that, I mean, I wouldn't say mindfulness takes the place of therapy or traditional, some other methods, whether they're traditional or non-traditional. Um, But it is one helping. It's something that will help. I don't. A tool. It's a tool. And to be honest with you, I can't think of a single thing that would be negative about learning how to do mindfulness. Like, no. There's just no downside. No. Yeah. Why do you think we haven't been taught this?
0: Yeah, we should be taught this in school at a young age.
2: So, as it turns out, um, more and more schools, like elementary schools, are bringing mindfulness in. So it turns out that those schools that are bringing they're they're substituting the um, uh, what do you call it at the end of the day? You know, you're you're being you're pulled out for um, bad behavior. Um, um,
0: like, like when you're like suspended, detention. like a detention yeah, or detention. something? Yeah, detention,
2: exactly. And it's detention for bad behavior. The schools that are bringing mindfulness in and are transforming detention into a place of mindfulness, like they're teaching these little kids mindfulness, their quote-unquote behavioral problems are not just going down. They are going to zero. Really? Yeah, I mean this is it's unbelievable. It's really because I remember when
0: I was a substitute teacher a couple a couple times. But this was like a, more of a high school though. But all the kids that were suspended and had to be in this room for the day, sometimes they'd say, you know, we need a teacher to sit in there and kind of babysit them. I mean, I can't imagine these because these kids are, you know, a lot of them are troublemakers. They're, they're just farting around in, in in that room anyway. And to get them to like, you know, focus on their breathing, I'm they'd all be like, going, yeah, dude, look, when we smoke pot, you know, and you're like, no, 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 that's not what we. Need.
2: I've actually heard some people say, um, some, I don't know what you want to call them, gurus or whatever, will say that one of the reasons smoking anything is relaxing. Is because actually you're taking a deep breath. <laughs> no,
0: that does make sense because because you look at like what nicotine does, and people say, "Oh, I'm stressed out." You know, I, I bought a pack of cigarettes because I was so stressed out. Well, actually, uh, nicotine speeds up your heart rate, exactly. and nicotine it has the opposite effect that you know it doesn't really relax you. That's right. But that deep breath, you know, breathing it in i mean that's the you're there doing you it right there There you go that's so if you're it. a pack a day smoker congratulations <laughs> you've mastered mindfulness <laughs> right. and that's all the time we have <laughs>
1: <That's>
0: <laughs> sponsored by philip morris
1: right. um that's funny that's really funny um what else are you doing so you've written how many books i've written several books um
2: they're you know they're all available on my website the the um the Mindfulness Effect is my latest one. Um, the the other one that's most well known before that was called The Culturally Inclusive Educator, Preparing for a Multicultural World. And um, that really brought the idea of, it was based on my dissertation research, really, that, that asked about how prepared educators are to build cultural inclusion. And what do you think? Do you think they said they were or they weren't? They weren't. You'd think they would say they weren't prepared because they weren't. But they said they were.
0: Really? Yeah. The response
2: was, yes, I'm prepared. And then I said, well, do you do this? Do you do this? Do that? And I had called the best practices, culturally inclusive practices. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. So what are those? What are they? Yeah, tell us. Oh, well, I mean, it's it's all dependent. There's so many. How many pages
0: was that dissertation? Yeah, it was a lot. But but, but can you give us a couple, like, examples, maybe?
2: Yeah, um, in terms of culturally inclusive practices, I mean, there are so many that would work in a business context in a company, and there are so many that work in a classroom. This was focused primarily on the classroom, but I've done so much work since then on businesses. But... um, what I tend to do is I focus on, you know, when I come into an organization, oftentimes we'll hold up a window and we'll say, we need to change this practice and that practice or that policy. And that's all true. We have a lot of work to do in that area. But when I come in, I typically want to transform the window into a mirror and so that people are kind of self-reflecting and gently. I don't do a blame or shame game of, of you know, you shouldn't you're a terrible person or well, you're being racist or sexist or what, any, any of that. It's more like wow, we've all been taught misinformation about our groups and other people's groups and these stereotypes have been become embedded. And so the idea of when I think about culturally inclusive practices, it really has to do with learning about what your own biases are and we can do that in a mindful way actually but we can also do that through the um Harvard's project implicit the implicit association test are you familiar no i'm not tell us okay so um it takes 5 minutes this is the beauty of this test uh it's not the best test but it is absolutely the most efficient and what it does is there's tests it's it's the website is implicit.harvard.edu EDU. i yeah. think yeah um, but if you look up implicit association test, it's the one that comes up. Um, make sure it's the Harvard one. There's a few copycat ones. Yeah. Um, and there are almost. University
0: of Phoenix is a really bad one. You, know, <laughs> you don't want to go to that one, you know.
2: <laughs> we want to go with the Harvard one, mostly because they have almost 10 million people at this point who have taken this test. And we don't have a subject pool like that for anything. So it's very exciting. 10 million. 10 million Well, that's people. a pretty yeah. good, uh, you yeah. know. So basically these tests, they basically are, they give you an image, and then you're either on your phone or on your computer and your laptop, and you are pressing the left or the right or the, you know, it's the E or the I on the on the laptop, but on the phone, it's just your left thumb or your right thumb, and you're connecting words with an image, and they're positive and negative, so it could be like a, fa- for the race one, for example, it's might be a white face and on the left is a positive word and on the right is a negative word let's say and you have to associate you know it's it's more much simpler than the way I can explain it like you have to see it and you'll be like oh yeah, yeah that makes so much sense but anyway you are associating words with images And you're doing it very quickly. And when it's
0: done, is it say you're a racist? Congratulations! (laughs) Well,
2: actually, what happens is at the end of this five minutes, you know, you doing this this practice or this this um, taking this test, uh, it immediately comes up with your results, and it will say you have a strong implicit bias for in favor of white people against black people, you have a moderate preference, you have a slight preference, you have no preference, or, and then it flips the... So it's a seven-point scale, and you get one of those results. And then they'll show you where you fall, where everyone else is, you know, like compared to everyone else. But is this
0: just race, or does they, they do it across... There's
2: a test on race, there's tests on gender, there's several on gender, there's um, on social class, on um, disability, there's, I mean, they they have... Tons of different tests.
0: It's like the museum of tolerance.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Did you ever
0: see the South Park version of? If you haven't seen it, you you remember it. It was very, very funny.
2: I don't know. I'm I'm like a little cautious when it comes well, to stuff like that. I want to tell this because this
0: is fu- this is funny. Okay, it, sure. like, was, so so they're going through all the kids from South Park are going through the Museum of Tolerance, and of course they you know show the Asian guy you know with the calculator and say there's the you know the Asian who's good at math, mm-hmm. and there's uh, you know the covetous Jew you know, and they go to this thing, and then all of a sudden you see this and, and this guy goes oh the lazy Mexican because it shows this guy, and then all of a sudden he wakes up and goes I'm sorry I was taking a nap. He was like the guy who was cleaning the place. Uh-huh. He happened to be underneath a light and it was it's actually it was kind of funny but i mean it just kind of goes to show you that you know
1: yeah, maybe we should edit
0: that part out.
1: Yeah,
0: right, right. <laughs> but it's worth seeing the museum of tolerance it's the uh where is South the Park.
1: museum in los angeles 12.
2: yeah there's one in have you shade. been to it um i actually haven't have you
0: uh i lived in la I, I i know where it is but i haven't been in it
2: yeah yeah
0: I wasn't, I wasn't tolerated to go in there. I just couldn't
2: handle yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, tolerance. I, um, that's the word we used to use before we got to some of the other, like diversity is a better word than tolerance. We don't, I don't, I mean, I use diversity only because people know what it is. Right.
0: Tolerance kind of sounds like I'm tolerating. I'm, yeah. I'm dealing with the fact that I don't like these people, but I'm dealing right. with it. These rather, people. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
2: point, case in point. Exactly. But, um yeah, so in, in any in any event, the um, implicit association test, there are so many of them. And, and like I said, what I always do is I invite people to start with the race one because most often if they don't if, – if I don't say that, they'll take every other test but that one because they don't want to know. Right. You know, so I say start with that one and then keep taking a whole bunch of different tests. So, so how
0: many are there on there? I, I like 10, 20? Like, yeah, somewhere in there. Okay.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know e- – basically there's nobody who has no bias on it against anyone right everyone has some bias if you have a brain you're biased and again no blame or shame here it's really more you gotta know and then once you know what your biases are you can actually work Work with them yeah yeah. work with them and change them and taking the test is only a first step you need some bias training anti-bias training as well
0: what did you say the name of this test was i want to make sure we have it written down and plus we want to tell the listeners one more time
2: sure it's um well the the, the test itself is called the Implicit Association Test.
0: Implicit Association Test.
2: And it's through Harvard's test. project Through Implicit. Harvard. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah, our listeners might want to check that out. I mean, this sounds mm-hmm. like it could be really uh, eye-opening. Cause a lot yeah. of people probably don't realize that they, they are that way and they say, oh, I'm liberal, I'm this, I'm that. I'm, but yet you take this test and you're like, well, yeah, you might be that way politically, but you still, you know, do this when you see this person, you think of, the, of this or you associate yeah. something with that or. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. And I definitely encourage folks to get some training um, around implicit bias. So just knowing, I mean, the first step is always awareness, right? We need to know what biases we have, but that can't be the last step. You can't just say, oh, well, I'll, you know, now that I know, I I'll, I'll, won't I'll be biased anymore. Yeah, I'll be more no, conscious no, no. of it or something. Yeah, so there's some training that needs to happen.
0: Mindful training.
2: Well, if if you... If you go with me, if go yes. Go with you. <laughs> but there's plenty of, pe- plenty of people and plenty of resources out there for
1: implicit bias training, really. How do you connect um, mindfulness and human connection? How would you put those two together? Because, you know, people that feel socially stressed or anxiety to go into a social setting that have hard times communicating with one another, how could they use mindfulness? How could you slow down your breathing, take a moment, and then be able to connect to somebody? So this is, yeah, this is a beautiful question. In
2: fact, I teach mindful uh, communication skills in doing exactly what you just said. And part of it is the embodiment of this work. And so when I think about mindfulness, it's also it's focusing on your breath, but it's also focusing inward. So at the same time you're interacting with others, you have a consciousness about your own body and what it's doing. And so for example, I mean just to use what we just talked about this idea you have a bias, you know, oh I have a bias against this type of person, right, because I've learned these stereotypes. And again, no shame or blame, but, you know, here we are. And then you're meeting somebody from that particular social group, and you're going to find yourself having some anxiety. Like you might have a belly that's clenched a little bit. Um, You may have some restriction in your chest. Whatever's going on in your body, the more mindful you are, the more you're aware of that, and you can breathe through it. I'm not suggesting that we ignore those emotions or those, the, what's happening in our body, but we pay attention to them instead. And when you breathe, you're more likely to give more space in those areas. Right. Right? So if
0: you have a fear of clowns and you just, you're totally biased yeah. against clowns, yes. it's a good example to it use is. because great. it isn't like a, a race or a sexuality. Yeah. But yeah, you see a clown and every time you see a clown, you you, kind of, you, know, you tighten up your stomach and you mm-hmm. kind of get scared. But now you're going to go into this clown room You know the room room
1: room. of (laughs) Barnum and Bailey
0: clowns. Yeah, you go into the clown room, and you you know you you breathe when you go in there, and you can breathe through some of that stuff.
2: Exactly, and um, you know until you get
0: a pie in the face.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But um, in that moment, if you think about interacting, which is what you asked about, you know, we if your stomach is clenched. You don't think that's going to come out in the conversation that you're having? You're not going to be able to interact. You're not going to be able to build deep relationships with others if you have that that fear or that clenched belly or whatever it is that that you're dealing with. Or Or even the fluttery heart.
1: Yeah. Because people can pick up on
2: that. Yeah, absolutely. They do, and then your interaction is different. So if you're breathing through, you're aware of what you're doing, at the same time you're communicating with someone, it's not easy to do. This is why when I teach communication skills, mindful communication skills, I have folks practice. It takes some practice for sure. It doesn't come easy. But once you get it down, all of a sudden you notice that there's more of a flow and you're connecting deeper. And actually the research shows the same thing, that if we're able to do that, we're able to connect deeper. We're going to build deeper relationships, more authentic relationships, et cetera, especially across our social differences, which is where
1: this is the heart of the work that I do. I could imagine this would be great just in your home, Mm -hmm. being able to communicate with your partner, with your children. Absolutely. Your your parents. Mm -hmm. Your pets. pets.
2: (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like people, you know, we are social beings, right? And we come into contact with each other, and people are going to push our buttons. They're going to, you know, they're going to, um, sort of irritate the past traumas that we've had and all of that and so how, what do we do about that like that is in my mind that's what relationships are part, part of what relationships are there to do is to help us to grow and so how do we do that what's the process of that and part of that for me anyway um, for my practice and what I teach in my, in my book and my my the work that I do is to have people really focus on how they are behaving how they're showing up um and taking that breath before they're speaking that they're responding rather than reacting this is huge this is huge most people are re- reacting to each other constantly
1: and it doesn't go very well no know? yeah or you're in your mind yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. how to respond before the person's even said anything
2: yeah you've got a whole story going on in your head and that may not even be where they're showing <laughs> up from you know like that it it's just what you're thinking Um, This is true for so many relationships, especially. I mean, think about dating. If you if you already have a checklist and you're already checking things off, you know that uh, that oh no, they don't have this or they don't have that. As soon as they walk
0: into the door, the door, you're already saying, oh boy, she's (laughs) got this.
2: Right, right, and you're never gonna. I mean, how are you gonna connect in that way? How are you gonna connect from a deep place if you're constantly? Do you have children? I
0: do. And um, do you? has it been easier to raise them with some of these practices? Or are hey. or, or all bets off when you're dealing with your own kids at home?
2: <laughs> you know what? Um, I am very mindful with my kids now. I didn't have a mindfulness practice when they were young, when they were little, growing up. I, I wish I did, but by the same token, they're phenomenal kids. I mean, I don't even want to take much credit. I'll take a little bit of credit, but really not much. They're phenomenal kids, and so... Um, I, it's hard to say. Have? I have two. And how old are they? Two. They're twenty. Let's see, twenty-five and twenty-seven. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah.
0: I wouldn't have guessed that. God. You don't look old enough to have kids that <laughs> that old. So, but but they, you think that they didn't really need it as much because they were they were probably. I mean, your, your practice. Well, you weren't doing it back then as much. I wasn't. Mm-mm. But at the same time, I mean, it sounds like they are pretty pretty special to begin with. So they really. See, it would have been incredible. different, like if. Because, like I said, I grew up with ADHD, and I'm sure that my real father, bless his heart, was very impatient with some of my behavior. And if he had had some mindfulness training, mm-hmm. then maybe it would have been a little easier for him to deal with some of the things that I was doing as a kid.
2: You know? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. My my mindfulness um, came much later, actually. After they were they were really off, Let's see, they were going off to college. Yeah, they were they were off in college. Now that I think about it. Um, and I write about this in the preface of my book. I had a horrible—it's it's a terrible story—but um, out of my, out of all of that, that my healing brought mindfulness into my life, and that was right.
1: That was about a decade or so ago. Wow! So, so did somebody bring it to you, or did you discover it just on your own? Um, a lot of people who knew me suggested
2: yoga to start. um, And I couldn't do that. I couldn't be in my body like that. Um, And so I kept saying, I mean, Shavasana, forget about it. Like that was not going to happen for me. So uh, it took a long time. In fact, I did yoga at home for uh, maybe six months to a year before I even went into a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I went to the studio and I found a teacher who I trusted, that was that was the beginning of good things. And then
0: and then came what what came next after the yoga.
2: Then what came next was I I was in my yoga studio down in Colorado Springs, Cambio Yoga, and the te- one of the teachers there said to me. Um, in fact, he still is one of the owners of the studio, Austin. He said to me, uh, he said to the class, it just felt like it was to me. He's like, y'all are already yoga teachers, you just don't know it yet. And I know that seems like that's not a big thing to say, but somehow it hit me at the right time, the right day, you know? And I thought, maybe he's right. And so I signed up for yoga teacher training, became a yoga instructor, and mindfulness, that's when I first started to learn about mindfulness. I had already been kind of peeking into this notion of meditation, but I certainly didn't have a daily practice. And then...
0: Do you, now, do you have a daily practice now? Because oh, you yeah. said you're always kind of in that meditative... Yeah. But, but I start
2: off the day that way. For huh? like how long? Um, it depends. Uh depends on where I'm at when I wake up. Sometimes I'm already or if so... you're in a hurry or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, if I'm speaking somewhere and I don't have time, you know, it'll be shorter. I never m- miss it, though. I mean, like, I can't imagine starting a day off now without anything. But it could be as short as a few minutes to really a couple hours. And are you
0: singing, saying a mantra to yourself or are you just consciously breathing and, and you know,
2: I have so many different practices. Sut-nam, it really yeah. You know. Now it's um it's really what uh what speaks to me in the morning when I first I'm barely conscious like you know when you're barely you haven't even opened your eyes right. yet I immediately go into my practice.
0: You don't fall back asleep?
2: You know what? Every now
1: and then I do mm. and I have a really great sleep. I yeah. don't have any problem with that. <laughs> do you do any out of body stuff then since you are that deep no, that deep well most
2: of my meditation I'm not in my body like I'm way gone <laughs> I'm
1: I'm not even on the planet so yeah that's wow. cool that's yeah. really cool yeah. do you do lucid dreaming then when you are sleeping are you lucidly in other worlds um it's it feels a little more I'm trying to think how to
2: even say it it's I mean it's hard to put into words because it's more of a, a I don't even want to say a feeling because it's not like I can feel it. It's more of an experience, I should say. And so, you know, depending on any given day, I may be, you know, a bird. I may be an eagle, which is sort of my... My animal. Your spirit animal? Yeah. Um, Where I'm flying through, you know, and over hills and, you know, I can just see the beautiful expanse. And then other times I'm out in the stratosphere and I'm literally looking at the earth and all these planets and I'm... But do you know you're dreaming? um, I don't really know. (laughs) I I mean, there's people who probably could test me and figure out exactly what, you know, what's going on. But um, whatever it is, it feels great. Oh it feels gosh. so good. I've got to start doing
0: this, just, this this breathing stuff. Mm, this, yeah, breathing breathing business. this
2: breathing business. Yeah, I really <laughs>
0: do because I really think that that's. If I could just take a breath, and my my stepdad always tells me that, you know, just he's like, you know, just when you're going to say something impulsively, you know, something you think might be funny, just just like take a breath and count to three and see if it's still funny then. And then if it is, then say it. You know, that way you're not always the person who's you know always you know
1: apologizing (laughs) for after. No, but, but
0: but 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 you're not being so impulsively you know saying stuff like throughout the thing, like you know especially. When you're in a group of people or something like that, you know, you don't want to just blurt out every single funny thing that comes into your head because I did a radio show for so long that I, everything that came into my head, I said on the radio and some of it got me in trouble, you know. Right. But the point being is I was getting paid to do that. But when you're like in a social setting, you don't necessarily, you know, you don't want to make it all about you, you know. So.
2: <laughs> or a business setting too. Or a business I mean, this setting is, This right. is, yeah. And I would say, you know, that taking three seconds or counting to whatever you want to count to, uh, before sending an email. I do that quite often. That's you know, really good. I want it, especially if it's important. I think, you know, I'm going to let me just take some time. I'm going to come back in an hour, you yeah. know, and, or even 10 minutes if I don't have a lot of time. It seems like
0: every email that I write, I al- I always come back and look at it and, and try to soften it. Especially if I'm mm-hmm. calling to, especially if I'm writing to complain or to, I always, then I say, you know what? I ought to start it by saying, first of all, I just want to say, you know what I'm saying? Because you write down your thoughts and rather than just hitting send, I always try to, how can I make this sound, you know, instead of saying you did this, you know, we did this or we, <laughs> you know, you try to soften things. Yeah. I just think that's a, that's good advice, but, yeah, that can come into play certainly in so every aspect of your life, really.
2: It comes from, to me, it's, you know, I've, I've spoken about this before. Um, I, I love this conversation around the difference between coming from fear versus coming from love. And what would it be like if everybody made a, an intentional uh well, really, was intentional about coming from love as much of the day as they possibly could. Like, what would, how would that transform our world? Like, I love that. I love that idea. When you say
0: come from fear, though, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example of where you would come from love instead of fear. Like, what kind of a situation?
2: So when you come from anger, typically underneath the anger is fear. Not always, not 100% of the time, but oftentimes there's something that you're holding on to so you're, you know, or you're doing something with gritted teeth. And there's not a lot of freedom there. There's not a lot of expansiveness there. As opposed to if you have an intention, and maybe that's your mantra in your three-minute meditation in the morning is like, I want to come from love. I want to come from love, you know. And that you put, put that intention at the start of your day and you come back to it. You remember to come back to it. That's practice, right? But that once you do you will be more likely to take a breath because you'll be like, oh, I'm not in this space right now. I'm not feeling expansive. I'm not feeling, you know, in this beautiful, free, liberated, not coming from that place of love. Yeah. um, Right. I'm coming from fear or something constricted. Um, You know, that that, that's where I'm coming from instead. And so if you take a breath and you're intentional, you can we get to change this. We get to we actually get to I don't want to say control, but in a sense it's what it is we We actually have some power over how we show up in the world. It doesn't always have to come from you know as i'm sure you already know we don't li- we don't want to live from the outside in we no. want to live from the inside out
1: so what would your be your biggest piece of advice for people to just start to live from the inside out. Mm. So getting to know what that inside is, of course, for me, I would say it
2: starts with mindfulness, right? It starts with a practice of even focusing on your breath, whether you decide you want to meditate during the day or not doesn't make any difference, right? I mean, it does matter, you know, in my mind, it matters. But for for folks who are like, No, 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 I can't do that meditation thing. Just focusing on your breath is such a beautiful tool. And it also gets us to really check in with ourselves. Where am I? What's my stomach doing right now? Where is my attention? That to me is probably the best. That's one of my favorite questions. Where is my attention right now? Is my attention on something that is going to lead me down some rabbit hole? Am I stuck in my head? Or is my attention on this expansive, my expansive self? Is it on my, you know, my inspired self on, you know, on, is it focusing on love or am I coming from a place of fear or anxiety about what, about what's coming in the future or what I, you know, some horrible thing in the past. Um, and so, yeah, focusing on this, this moment and the excitement about the potential that we are. When somebody says to me, who are you really? What are you? Like if you had to define yourself and I, you know, besides the fact of being, in this human body, I am infinite potential. I believe we are all infinite potential, and so just knowing
1: that—what a beautiful space to come from! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. That's a
0: good way mm-hmm. to end it, I think. I
1: think so too. <laughs>
0: You've been a wonderful you guest, guess. and you're Thank so you. insightful. And Thank I, you. I'm going to start. Breathing more mindfully and uh, trying to be more in the moment, and, uh, and maybe add a little bit of meditation, even if it's just for a little bit, mm-hmm. just a uh, you know baby steps. Yeah.
1: Even if you do a guided meditation, then someone's taking you through instead of just doing it on your own. Yeah. I have I happen to have 25 free ones on my you website. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. They're
0: what's the what's the website book. again? It is it's dinasamuels.com. dot That's it. That's very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. d e n a Dina Samuels and the other thing was called the uh, the implicit association test-hmm so, yep. a couple things to look into.
1: And then if you guys take it, make sure you email me and yeah, I, we can have a conversation. Exactly. I have a on my resources page, I have actually a handout
2: on specifically on the implicit association test. So, if they want more information, folks want more information or the website, you can just Oh, it is. The link. Okay, there's a link yeah. there mm-hmm. at
0: dinasamuels.com. Well, thanks for being with us, Dina. Absolutely.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you. It was an honor. Absolutely. Thank you
1: very much. It was great. Thank you.
0: And we'll talk to you next time on Imagine Akasha.
2: Bye-bye.